Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep, never retreat. Welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic trials in Eugene in three weeks. Three weeks? This baby's coming fast. This podcast is presented by Coros, the watch band that I know and love and trust and have trusted now for two years. And who else trusts them? Des Linden. Des Linden trusts them. So if she trusts them, I know you can too, because one of the best things about Des Linden, beyond her extreme physical capacity and running talent, is she is a truth teller, right? That's why she's so much fun to follow on Twitter and all these other places. She tells the truth. She tells it the way it is, and she does it in a very funny way. And you know, if she believes in Koros, because she could wear any watch that she wanted to, right? She chooses who sponsors her, not the other way around. She trusts Koros. You should go try them as well. If you use code trials at Koros.com, that's C-O-R-O-S.com, you get a free bag of goodies with any watch purchase. I've had mine for two years. Thing is great. I still use it every single day. So let's get into this episode with Frank Laura. We haven't talked to him in a month uh, after the, the unbelievable and unbelievable. The, the, the last podcast him was tough, right? He was coming off uh, the shooting in Boulder that had happened and affected uh, so many in his community and his good friend, Maggie Montoya. And um, that was a tough episode for him. Uh, and I'm sure anyone who listened to it now, a month later, Frank is in full racing swing, coming off two huge meets and some really high-quality efforts that are really setting the stage for him to be at his best at the trials, which is exactly where all of these athletes want to be. He's really rounding into form. You could just tell in this episode he is really, really excited. So let's dive into it with Frank. Frank, Lara is back, fresh off some successful racing. Frank. Thank you for coming back. I'm so excited to chat. Happy to be here, Matt. It's a pleasure to see you again. It's always fun to, talking to someone who's coming off some really you know, high-level performances. And obviously, everyone in the track world right now is you know, looking at what's happening later this month. It's officially June. It's Olympic Track Trials Month. We're here. Uh, so obviously, everyone's trying to peak at that exact moment, three weeks from now, roughly, uh, depending on what events people are running. But it's exciting to see you out there doing your thing and, and having some some success over the past couple of weeks leading into this stretch of races. Obviously, we talked about a month ago. Um, how did you feel going into you know the sound running track meet and now the the, the Portland Track Festival and, and, and the like? Honestly, super good. Just like I've been everything's falling into place. I haven't had like to take off any time for anything or just like training just keeps building and building and like we keep making the workouts harder and I keep responding to it. So it's, I'm all saying everything that I've done so far, it's, it's, I, I feel like it's all leading towards the trials. So I, I think I'm in a really good spot right now. Now, when you get that momentum in training in terms of workout after workout and you feel like you're doing well and things are progressing, do you try to kind of tamp down your excitement when you start to stack those workouts or do you kind of lean into that feeling? I mean, I definitely lean into it. I, my coach definitely tries to like limit me from like overworking. So like, I know that if I like stick to what's written on paper that I won't be overworking. And also if it's on paper, I like basically force myself to do it. 
<laughs> to the point that I might be overworking, but I think Richie knows me well enough that he wouldn't put anything that I can't handle. Why? What What are some things you've done in the past that have kind of superseded or extended a, a, a written workout in ways that maybe the coach wouldn't have been as approving of? Nothing really. I've always just like, I, I, I find that I'm very coachable and will like listen to everything to a T that I'm told. Um, it's part of the reason I really want Richie to like give me race plans and like to tell me what to do exactly in a race. Cause like, if he tells me that I, if he tells me that I can do something or tells me to do something, I'll believe that I can do it. Oh, how interesting. All right. This is so, this is so funny to me because I see when I think of you, you know, I, I see all of this, this, you know, high level running from basically, you know, senior year of high school on. You've been you've, you've done so well year after year after year. Again, even before that, obviously. But, you know, leading into all of this time and then to hear that, you know, you're like, "All right, if he if he believes in me, I know I'm ready." How much of that uh when you think back to like you're preparing for a big race, how much do you lean on sort of that external opinion that a coach can provide or maybe training partners can provide versus your own feeling of like, "Okay, I know I'm ready or how the, how has that evolved over time in terms of having that intuition as opposed to some sort of external validation? I mean, the external validation, I think it more comes along with like, just like a mutual respect and understanding that like, we're both on the same page and we both believe that this is what I can do. Um, it's just when you have someone in your corner, who's like writing all of your workouts and telling you what you should be doing and you are doing that like in training, um, if he tells me to do something in a race, it means that I can do that. I, he tells me what to do in training. I can do it then. If he, t- I can, if he tells me what to do in a race, I can also do it then. So it all just kind of translates into like a self-confidence that comes from first like executing what he thinks I can do. And then um, seeing the potential in myself of what he thinks I can do in the future. So when you're going through a stress like this, do you find yourself comparing the workouts to what you've done at high points in the past? Not really. <laughs> I've never really looked back on things, but like uh, a, a few weeks ago, I did look back and like notice like trends in the workouts. Like they're like, we're doing similar workouts. It's just like the paces are different now. And like um, before I was doing a lot more stuff like on the road and like now everything's like a little bit more track specific. Not that there's anything wrong with working out on the road. Like I still do that a little bit. We did that today. But um, you definitely, like, look back and notice, like, there's definitely been a trend of, like, um, the intensity has gone up ever since I joined the team, which is, like, really cool to see that I'm not, like, someone who's, like, up and down and up and down and kind of, like, between, like, training blocks and, like, short breaks. Like, we don't just start back from zero. Right. And when you say we, are there certain people on the team that you find yourself running a lot of these workouts with? Yeah, um, a lot of the guys are kind of like somewhat finishing up their track seasons and like uh, they're kind of gearing now towards the road stuff. So like today we all kind of worked out as a group just doing like a far like on the roads and like um, this weekend I'll be more by myself with just like track focus. So um, it's still nice to have like company for some stuff, but for the most part it's... (laughs) We only we only have me and Maggie Montoya from our team that have qualified for the trial, so it'll be a small but mighty group. There you go. That's a nice way of putting it, right? I mean, I feel like that defines you to a T. <laughs> Both of us, really. <laughs> 
Well, that that's exciting. All right, so what? So leading into the sound running track meet, and then also the Portland Festival. If you had, say, you were had a, a week of, of training or ten days of training, I don't know how you guys segment your your rotations, but um, basically a non race week. So let's think about a, a week of training or ten days of training leading into a weekend that doesn't include racing. What does that week currently look like um, as you're preparing for the trials, and how did and how does that compare to like how the training was three months ago? It's it's hard to think about because I my tr- I don't know what I'm doing until like the week of training. So it's like I never really like dwell on like the like whole scope of the calendar and like see like okay what do I have coming up. Um, but with like the I will, for the sound running race, we definitely kind of like eased back and like didn't do as like much harder stuff. But after that, we've just kind of training and like trained through the races uh, last week, and um, now it's just been <laughs> kind of in the heat of things. Um, so you trained through the Portland Track Festival? Yeah. Wow. I mean, Frank. <laughs> You're killing it, my man. You had one heck of a weekend, too. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I also paced the 10K before my 5K the day before. I definitely did, and I was excited <laughs> to chat about it. You were not the only person that pulled double duty this weekend in Portland, whether we're talking about Molly Seidel doing like a tempo run, like a five-mile tempo, like right before her race, Segura doing back-to-back 10Ks. I can't, I want to talk about all of that. We'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, you're 2743, right? Sound running track meet, you run 2743. Um, that's, that's a huge time, dipping under 28. Um, when you were preparing yourself for that day, was that kind of result what you were hoping for? Not at all. Um, I was actually uh, pretty disappointed with it. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I should have phrased the question differently. <laughs> no, no. Well, it was it was a one second PR for me from the previous sound running meet. So like, but the the goal for that race was to like definitely dip under the Olympic standard. So like to go through like 25 laps of like I can do this, and then like come out the other end. You're like so close, but also <laughs> it doesn't mean anything if I don't get the time. Um, which it's kind of how I felt in the moment, but now I, I am not too concerned about it just because, uh, I think if I'm in a position to be top three at the trials that I should be in a position to be able to run that time at the trials as well. So, right. Cause it's just going to be such a stacked field. It's hard to imagine people not going for it. So it was one thing to have a certain time. It's one thing to be, okay, how much did I put into this time, right? So you got 2743 that while a PR isn't exactly quite what you had hoped for when you lined up that night, when you finished, did you feel like you could have run faster or do you feel like that that was pretty close to your maximal effort on that day? I ran a really dumb race that day. Um, in my mind, 10Ks are like... Um, you it's a long race. You start in the back and like by the end, you'll make your way to the front kind of thing. Um, and that's plan doesn't really work out when you're like from the gun running the Olympic standard pace. Right. Nor, nor does it work out if everyone has that goal in mind. Yes. Then no one's at the front. Yeah. So basically I, so it's supposed to be like 66 is per lap. Um, Richie was like on the side of the track, like giving me splits. Um, I went from running like, 66 and like being like in a comfortable spot to just like 
people just kept cutting in and I, I kept letting them. <laughs> so I guess that's most, that's really on me. Um, and then like the next lap was like a 69 and there she was like, you're already way behind. Um, but like the next two laps, apparently I like dropped like a 62, 63 to like make up that gap and like pass a ton of people. And it was just like, I don't know, a lot of unnecessary overworking. And um, I, I learned a lot from like going through that and like, actually feeling out how hard that actually is to do to like kind of race in like a fart like style setting um and uh at the uh portland track festival i made it a point to very aggressively decide that i'm at the front and i'm staying here and nobody's <laughs> gonna come in and like take my spot um yeah you were lopez's shadow for like the yes. entire like almost the entire thing I gave him very little room. <laughs> and there was a few times where people would come up to me or like come up next to me and I could tell like they want to be there. And I was like, I just, I just held my ground. And I don't know. It was very satisfying to like do that and then like have the race go the way it did. Cause it was just, it was the first time that I have ever like held my ground and just been like, been very like, I don't know. Um, not to say I'm like bullied or anything, but like I felt like in the past I was like already I was just okay with being pushed around. Like it didn't like it didn't mean it wouldn't affect my race because I was like I'll just go around later. But like I don't know the cumulative like I'll just go around later with like thirty people cutting in front of you <laughs> doesn't really work. All right, let's talk about that because obviously physical contact is a no no. So when you have this situation where you want to assert yourself in a certain spot and make sure that someone's not going to cut in. Obviously, you can only get so close to the person in front of you. So what are some other things that you can do with your body that while um, isn't necessarily physical contact, can kind of assert your position as like, no, you're not getting in here? Um, <laughs> I'm pretty challenged in that terms in terms of that because i i'm significantly smaller than most of my competitors but you also have the shorter center of gravity you know you can get in <laughs> yeah that's true you know, if this is basketball you could box out really well because you get nice and low yeah um i mean part of part of me i i really like being like on the inside of the rail and the issue with that is that you can't like if someone like passes the front like you can't really get out really quickly to handle it um the only way about around that is to stay at the front the whole time, which is what I did at, at in this 5k. Um, so I mean, if I was further back, I would probably run kind of like a little bit closer to the outside of the lane. Cause like then people are less likely to like try to kit in on you. Cause there's like space like next to you already. And like, there's already people there and it's just kind of a lot more work to go around people if they're already like kind of on the outside. Um, right. So like the, so the start of the 5k, it seems like, okay, if you can set up shop near the front, you can stay there and you can really make that work. You mentioned before with the 10K, kind of have the opposite feel. Like, no, I don't want to be starting on the front. I would prefer to be at the back and then to move up as I go. When you're in the beginning of the race, the first 200 meters, the first 400 meters of the 10K, how much of that is, you know, getting out, feeling good and setting the pace that you want to run versus feeling everybody else out and trying to, in this huge swarm of people, figure out, okay, here's kind of where I want to be, but I don't want to be all the way, you know, like it seems like there's a lot there. And especially in context with the amount of people who were, will be at the Olympic trials and who are also going to have the exact same goals as you so often in terms of like, not only 
the end result of trying to be top three. But in addition to that, a lot of people might have the exact same race strategy as you. So how do you try to set up your strategy and not necessarily defer to others who are trying to do something similar? I think the biggest point is to just not be indecisive. Like, I think that's what got to me a lot in the past. It's just like, I'm not sure if this is the right spot. Um, and just like letting people cut in or like getting around people like late in the race is just like or earlier, earlier, late in the race, getting around people is hard to do. Um, and I think just like knowing that you want to be near the front and like deciding, okay, this is the part, this is where I want to be. And like not letting anyone push you around to, to stop that. Um, but also if you're near the front, somebody at one point is going to go around you and try to make a move. So you got to be also be ready and be aware of that. And the is- if you're in the back, you won't be able to see that happening. And basically once it happens, you are already behind because they've already taken off and you for- then need to react to like what happened um, like a few seconds before. It's kind of like traffic jams. Right. And if you're in the back, you might not be the only person who's trying to react to the move. Yeah. So all of a sudden, if you're in the back, there might be three or four other people who have the same inclination. So all of a sudden, you're just kind of moving alongside of them as they go. Obviously, if you're getting if you're getting passed by the person who's taking the lead, you can then latch on. But if they're already ahead of you, then you're kind of counteracting um, not just their move, but the people directly behind them. Yeah, it's definitely it's just like. It's a weird game of like just I mean tracks of the I've always th- thought of like cross country and like road racing like a lot less of like a game and like track is just kind of like there's a lot more like strategy and like a lot more decisions that you have to actively think about and like decide what you're going to do. Yeah, and I would I would guess and I'd love to hear your opinion on this that it really it when you're in that situation of having to make all these decisions and also the, the yin and yang of, of pacing, even in the best of circumstances, that it's not necessarily going to be a consistent pace for an extended period of time. Things can move. Uh, and when that happens, it seems like it can really be a huge test of fitness where it's one thing to say, hey, I can go run 2735 or whatever. It's a whole other thing to say, hey, I can run 2735 with, with, with you know, three seventy second laps thrown in there. And being able to kind of, you know, yin and yang back and forth and still finish with a flourish um, and how those can be two very different things. Yeah, I mean, I think the the best way to not like overexert yourself when in these races where you're like slow up, speeding up and slowing down is making sure those like speed ups aren't like super aggressive. Because that's when you really start going into like you're basically your storage of like what you have left in you is when you um, react aggressively to stuff. And I did a lot of, like, human performance research on that, like, area and, like, how, like, um, different intensities, like, affect that. And basically everyone has, like, a limited amount of, like, anaerobic work capacity is what we called it. And once you, like, deplete that, you have to go, like, slower than this speed to, like, recover any of it. Right. I know in triathlon they call it burning matches. You know, you only have you only have so many matches in the matchbox, and and then then you're spent. So there is obviously a difference between hey, making a short burst of you know fifteen to twenty meters to kind of reassert yourself in the line versus maybe making a fifty or sixty meter burst to kind of really make a move or to really move up or to even just keep pace with a train that's going ahead. Um, 
when you're making these kinds of moves and trying to figure out, all right, how many times can I go significantly anaerobic here? Do you have a certain gauge with you or do you, are you able to just make real time judgments of how much, how much energy you have left? I'm still figuring that out, Matt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I feel, I feel like I would, I would have like a, I don't know. I, I haven't been, and I haven't experienced this enough to like really give you like a good answer of like, how I feel and like how much I have left in the middle of a race. I just believe I have a lot left and we'll just go for it kind of thing. Um, right. Well, I mean, just looking at the 5k in Portland, it was a great example of this, right? I mean, you're right there behind Lopez for an extended period of time, right? The, 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 the pacer falls off at 3k, uh, Lopez in the front for a, a 70 second, 400 meters. Another gentleman comes up, takes the lead for a little while. And then it's basically a 600 meter move to the finish. Willie Fink comes up and then kind of there you guys go. And even in that situation, it seemed like your, your finishing 400 meters was in a spot where that, you know, where you were able to finish right where you kind of were the whole race, right? You finished right there in third. You were kind of pacing along at that level. The last time we talked, actually a couple of different times that we've spoken, you talked about how you wanted to get faster. And it seemed like those were the kind of moments where this could potentially, you know, be a, a great example of wanting that speed in reserve for it. Did you feel like that the kick that you had in Portland was something that you had worked towards? Or do you feel like it's still, still wanting? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely wasn't like fully satisfied with it, but it was definitely like a big like step in the right direction for me. Um, with like 500 to go, I like tried taking the lead and had it for like a like a second maybe, but like Lopez held me off going heading into the curve, and I was like, I don't know, it was weird to like ha think about it in the moment. I'm like, I'm trying to pass Lopez Lemong right now, <laughs> going into the final 400 of this race. What is happening? Um, it was it was really exciting, but uh uh. In my mind, I just like kind of focused on like, all right, st st stick on the curve, just get your next chance. And then like uh, David Ribich came around on the curve and I was like, oh, maybe I should have done that. And then they <laughs> took off. Um, and but he then, might not have been able to do that if you didn't test Lopez on the previous straightaway. That that might be true. Um, although it, it, it makes me think that maybe I could have been a lot more aggressive on that 500 to go mark to like really get in front and like not give them time to react to it. Um, I, I think that's kind of where I will find my stride is if I'm leading 400 to go and avoiding being passed as opposed to like trying to get around people. Interesting. All right. So then obviously we're three weeks away, right? From heading to heading to Eugene and doing your thing. Um, Obviously, you said you only know your 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 workout schedule one week ahead of time, so we can't talk about what the training looks like leading into leading into Eugene. But we can't talk about the travel and just getting ready for the trials. How much of how much of just the logistics and the scheduling has already been set up for you, and you just wrapping your head around? Okay, this is what this experience is going to look like, and what are the things that I can control and prepare for? So basically, I've taken the week off from work. So. That's so generous of Strava. Thank you. It's almost like they know what it's like to be a runner. <laughs> no, it's super great that my it's super flexible and can kind of kind of take off whenever I need. Um, but uh, so that that'll be super nice. Like this past week, I like worked my full like schedule and like 
still got everything, like still raced really well and did everything. So this will be like a nice relief. Um, but the, in terms of the scheduling and everything, I, I, I'm hoping to get into the 5K as well as the 10K. It's kind of depends on like how, if other people, how many people like end up scratching from the race if I'm able to get in. Um, so there's a chance, but I really won't know like how long I'll be there until like things are finalized. And I don't think that's till like June 8th, I want to say, maybe later. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we have an Airbnb booked currently for like the races Friday, Wednesday through Saturday. And I, I, I don't really know anything apart from that. I, I need to book an outgoing flight and then figure out if, when I'm coming back as soon as I can and then book the next flight. Gotcha. So are you staying with teammates or is it just you and your girlfriend? With my coach and my girlfriend's coming as well. Gotcha. Okay. So for trials week and just all of that, you're a huge track fan. You love this sport so much. You have so many friends within it. Um, and yet you have your own goals, right? You, you're there. This is a business trip, right? This isn't, you know, you going to the Olympics at age 16 and you're just watching and you can't wait to see everything. Um, as you're preparing for that, are you thinking about like, all right, I'd love to kind of check in on certain events and things like that. Or are you completely siloed into, into no, I'm only focusing on my event. I'm not going to even go to the track. Like what, when you think forward to the three weeks from now, what do you think would be just your schedule and what you'd want to do besides your own preparation for your races? Honestly, I would need to look at the schedule because I, I only know when the 10K and 5K is. I don't know when <laughs> anything else is. Um, I don't know. It's the, the challenging thing is it's just so expensive to make that trip. And like the longer you stay, it's just a lot. Um, and just because like everyone wants to be there and it's like, not a huge town and doesn't really have the like resources to host huge events like this. So I don't really know why they don't like, I don't know. I mean, Eugene's obviously like awesome. And like the track is such an incredible stadium. I've never been there. I've seen videos and like pictures and everything. It's I'm can so excited. Some, can for somebody it. listening to this, give Frank Laura a room. <laughs> can someone just, be, oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, like rental cars will all be sold out. Like there's, there are just so many people at this thing that it's just like, it wouldn't be sustainable to hold one of these every, like every month <laughs> in Eugene, basically. Um, right. But I, I don't know. I'm super excited. I, there's definitely a lot of people I'm really excited to watch. Um, Mason Furlick is a big one and like Hobbs Kessler, obviously as well. And like, <laughs> um, I'm a big Craig Noack fan. Um, those are the main, I mean, Maggie Montoya, obviously, as well. Yeah, of course, right. Yeah. Right. yeah you, got, you got a teammate and a friend, of course. Of course, you're going to be rooting for them. Um, that goes for saying. I can't, I can't give you anyone that's in any of my events. Of course not. No, I would never, I would never, Frank. <laughs> I would never expect, I never expect you to pump someone up. Of course, there's always a chance to give them the reverse jinx, and I want to give you that <laughs> opportunity as well. Um, I do if, respect them a lot. <laughs> all of them so much respect yes. for every competitor um if you didn't have a schedule right so say all right you know you you there's this this event was happening but the 10k was something separate that was happening next month you were just here to watch right the 5k 10k take them out of the schedule is there any race or two that you as a fan just like seeing in person or maybe there are specific athletes that you care about um just as someone who's been around track for a long time what what would you prefer to watch if you were in person at a meet i 
am very excited for the steeplechase. I think it's going to be a really cool race. That and the the fifteen hundred is one of the funnest, most fun races to watch because it's just like you never know what's gonna what 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 it's gonna be like because it's just like that one that event especially is just such a game of just like people finding position and like making a lot of. I, I feel like fifteen hundred runners make a lot more decisions than I do during their fifteen hundred than I do during a ten k. Right. If there's no rabbit in the fifteen hundred meter, is complete chaos. It's like they'll yeah. go out at like. They'll go out at a pace like Elliot Kipchoge would be like, this is my easy pace. This, you're running a mile at this pace? What's going on here? <laughs> and then like, then they'll, then they'll just like go up to like a 56 second, like 400 meter, like five steps later. It's insane. Yeah. I think that's one of the just wildest events because it's just like anything can happen. The 800 is always going to go out fast. Like there's no. Yeah. There's no pacing. Yeah. There's no like, um going out controlled because like i mean I, that's just how you have to run it to like do well basically that it's very hard to run an even 800 or like a negative split 800 and would still win kind of thing so it's just if you go back and watch like the last olympics the 1500 meter it's just, it's insane they literally start the race the first half mile they go slower than the marathon winner went in his first 800 meters yeah i can see it like wait what like y'all running a mile they're running 26 <laughs> he's, he's running faster it's just it's so funny it's so interesting when you take the rabbits out of the mix let's talk about portland you brought it up earlier in terms of like you did the, the you had the um what's it called you had the pacing duties of the 10k the night before the 5k um i guess why why did you choose to do that well after um sound running the the Portland Track Festival reached out to me and asked if I wanted to pace. Originally, I was just planning on being done and just like getting ready for the trials. And like Richie and I talked about how we like kind of been slacking on like doing like more like strength, longer durations like stuff. So it was just kind of like he they they like like reached out to me about pacing. And I was like, so I could pace. And I looked at the schedule and saw that the five k was the next day. I was like, I could pace the one day. I'll pace it, but I'll only if I can race the five k the next day. Cause we like kind of saw it as like, it'll be kind it'll be similar to how like the trials 10 K would be in terms of like the first five is kind of like controlled. And then like, it'll be like a really like cut down last, last five for second half of the race. Um, so that's kind of just kind of saw it as like a training, like opportunity stimulus, whatever you want to call it. And it was just kind of like a really exciting thing for me. Cause I mean the, the, the actual like pacing, I was just, it's so nice to, I, I haven't led a race in so long. <laughs> It was just so nice to like be fully in control of everything that was going on. Um, and like, obviously like 14 flat is like not easy, but like now it's like not super hard for me anymore either, which is crazy to think about. Like a few years, like I would, I'd broken 14 like once before. So it was just kind of like a, I don't know while I was doing it, I was thinking about it. This used to be very, very hard and kind of my max speed at 5k um so it was, it was cool to think about that in the, in the moment but it was it was a fun experience i mean i i after i treated like the first day as like this is my race kind of thing it was kind of hard to focus on it a little bit just because like when you go into a race knowing that you're not planning on finishing it's just like a i don't know there's no stress on you at all i was having such a blast i felt like a total spectator at this meet like watching everything and like cheering everybody on and like I don't know, just like Jack making jokes that I would like that wouldn't have come to me like if I was like trying to run the Olympic standard that night. You know what I'm saying? And it was just kind of like a 
I don't know. It was just super fun. And then, um, and then you ran really well. Like, can you take Can you take things from that experience? Right. Like, if you were saying this to like a sports psychologist, I can imagine the things they would be saying. Like, okay, like these are all choices that you made. Right. Like, yeah. you chose to be this way. The next night, you chose to be a certain other way. Obviously, you ran well both nights. Are there things that you can take from that pacing experience? And say, hey, there's no reason why I can't approach a race where I'm giving my all and then, but also approach it with a kind of a more lighthearted mood mode or like things like that. Like, are there transferable learning things here going on? Yes. A hundred percent. Um, I mean, I was just like, <laughs> um, on our like warm up, it was like, well, me and my teammate both paced and Noah Drotty also like ran the race. Um, but like, we were like just running and like, um, we saw Lopez warming up and like he kind of crossed paths and he, and he like, he, I don't remember. He like said, good luck guys or something. And then like, we kind of got into an, like our team got into an argument of like, no, he was talking to me. <laughs> and like, he could definitely hear us like joking about it, but it was just like stuff like that. And then like, I don't know, we said something and like somebody in our team was like, you just embarrassed me in front of Garrett Heath. And it was just like, I don't know, pretending everyone was a celebrity and just kind of like joking amongst ourselves is just kind of like the ongoing thing that we did. Um, but it was just, I don't know, it definitely like eased any tension that like Noah had at all and like um, kind of felt like we were back at practice again. Um, a lot of my races I've been going to alone. So like I haven't warmed up with my teammates. I think that's kind of like a relieving to have people there to just like talk to and like not even talk to you about the race, just kind of like, just like a sense of normalcy and like feeling at home, like while you're at this thing. Right. There's just some, sometimes there's just, we all have this feeling is that there's people that we can be around and not even say anything to them, but just being in their presence puts us at ease, right? We all have those people in our lives and obviously runners are no, are no different than that. Are there people in the running world where like that maybe they're not your teammates now. Maybe they're your teammates back at Furman or maybe they were never your teammates who you feel like when you're around them, there's just that vibe that you can feel and it just, it, it kind of eases or takes, takes the edge off the situation. Yeah. I mean, especially when I like started coming to like road races after graduating, um, a lot of the people just kind of traveled alone and like didn't have a team. So it was just kind of like all of us in the same boat and like we all, for the most part, like would sometimes warm up together and like basically the whole, the whole field would cool down together if they didn't have like somewhere to be or like a team, you know? So it was just kind of like a fun, um, I don't know. You definitely start rooting for your competitors a lot more when you're like, get to know them and like truly like know them as people. Whereas in college, everyone was just kind of like, everyone was just kind of your competitor and your enemy and you like, you didn't really care for them. <laughs> All right, let's talk about what Segura did. The the back-to-back 10Ks, like, that was, I thought I was misreading the results sheet the first time I looked at it. I'm like, no, same person. Same. It, it, it was incredible to just see it, like, again, I watched the video later, um, but just seeing the results, I'm like, oh, my God, this is, what was it like for you as, you know, this is a peer of yours, and I don't know if you've ever done something like this before, but what was like your original take on what was happening and seeing him do it? I didn't even know it was happening. I just got, off, I remember pasting and then like got off the track and started cooling down around the infield. And like, 
we were it was kind of towards the end of like my cooldown when we when I like looked up and like noticed, oh wait a second. Is that Seguru? Is he racing in this too? And we just like it was just kind of shock. I I had never seen anyone do that before. And it was just kind of like I it made me like think like maybe I didn't do the like proper training weekend that I like planned. Like maybe <laughs> I didn't do enough. Like maybe I should be I I thought about like maybe I should have paced that race as well and then <laughs> gone and um done the 5k the next day but i saw that and i was like maybe i'm not doing i just i i felt kind of like it was really cool to see it was just like really impressive but also i was like uh seeing that makes me feel like i'm not doing enough right you had this unbelievable weekend and all of a sudden yeah. like you feel like i'm not doing enough was it something that like you and the other pros were just like would purposely go up to each other and talk about like was there was there a talk around the track as this whole endeavor was going on um i think just really a lot of shock it is awesome. It is awesome to see. I love that. When you see someone do something that's like not in, inexplicable is not the right word, but just like um something you would never like prognosticate. You wouldn't be like, oh, I'm gonna do a 10k and I'm gonna do the I'm gonna run the next 10k too, and I'm gonna run like at the front of both of them. Like I can't imagine I, I feel like I need to go talk to like maybe Henry Sterling or one of these other guys. I think Henry Sterling ran the race. Um one of these other people who were in the second 10k were like what is he doing? I, I can't imagine on? sitting behind him and being like, I cannot get beat by this guy. <laughs> right. He just won the previous race and he's running in my race now. Yeah. Oh my God. That is what what an awesome piece for him. It was awesome what he did. I think it would have been like a lot more badass if he had won both. Right. That's fair. Um not to demean what he did. It was awesome. Right. I'm I'm excited for you. We're three weeks out. And obviously, we'll see what happens with the 5K. The 10K is definitely on the schedule. Things are rolling. Hopefully, we can you know have one more chat before race day. But if we don't, Frank, good luck. It's been so fun following along over the past three or four months. And I'm so excited to see you racing, Eugene. Thank you so much, Matt. It's always a pleasure. Frank, thanks again. This guy is so excited. Hopefully, I get a chance to talk to him again before the trials, but maybe not because it's coming fast. We're going to catch up with our other athletes as well. We'll also hopefully catch up with Tyler Day, uh, see how his recovery is doing. Uh, he will not be running the trials, but our other five athletes will be, and it'll be exciting to see how they're progressing and how they're doing leading in, what the expectations are and what they're excited for, and, and maybe learning about what are the things that they need to overcome right before the trials that started to kind of put them at the, the exact level where they need to be mentally, emotionally, as well as physically. Obviously, the physical part um, is obvious, but that's not the only piece. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution.